What's going on, everyone, and welcome back to the Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show. Ed Burtzel here, no Adam, no Jake. So a bit of, uh, I think an apology is first uh, in order. We recorded the round one reaction, Adam and I, last night, right after the end of the first round, and realized at once we finished recording that the audio had been completely corrupted. So, could not release that because, oh my god, was that audio bad. And now, here I am, <clears throat> excuse me, still with the cough, by the way, um, doing the round one reaction on my own. And just a little bit um, of a scheduling update for everybody. Of course, this will be out shortly after I get this recording uh done. We will be going through uh, the highs and the lows of the first round of the NFL Draft. We'll be talking about, obviously, the trades that went down. Hollywood Brown going to the Arizona Cardinals has some news on that. And then A.J. Brown going to the Philadelphia Eagles will have some news on that. And instant fantasy reaction um, on both of those trades in, in, just a, in just a minute. But the scheduling update for you is, of course, I'm here now. And this will be up shortly after I get this done. Then on Saturday, so tomorrow, at the end of the draft, so after rounds four to seven, Jake and I will be coming on. We'll be doing a Basement Talk podcast on the entire draft as a whole. We'll get Jake's thoughts from all the rounds, and we will be doing a Basement Talk podcast on that. Then Adam and I will be doing a Basement Talk podcast fantasy show on Monday, uh, doing all the draft stuff from a fantasy view, see the winners and losers uh, from a fantasy perspective. I'll be on Monday, and then later in the week will be a normal Basement Talk podcast with Jake and I, and that'll be on NBA playoffs, and then Adam will come on and we'll do some NHL playoffs with him. So a lot of stuff to get to over the course of the next week, but for now we are doing, God, I still am trying to get through this whole coughing thing, and it's just not working, so forgive me. Uh, Like like we say all the time here on the Basement Talk Podcast, you come here for A-plus entertainment and C-plus production values. Um, So we're going to try and get through this as best we possibly can. Um, So... So let's talk about the trades, and let's start with Hollywood Brown going to the Arizona Cardinals from the Baltimore Ravens. Hollywood Brown, he's reunited with his college quarterback in Kyler Murray, goes to a more uh, pass-friendly, receiver-friendly offense in Arizona versus what he had in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. I think for fantasy, this is a great fit for, for Hollywood, given that He's going to be the guy now that's going to be responsible for going downfield and making those big plays. And with the big arm that Kyler Murray has, there is real appeal for Hollywood Brown, or at least real interest and upside, in non-PPR leagues as a potential top 30 receiver. Now, I don't know if I love him necessarily in half PPR and full PPR, just because I don't know that the receptions are exactly there yet. I have not done projections yet on Hollywood now that he is in Arizona. I have to get to those over the course of the next couple of days. But the early reaction is that Hollywood stands to gain from this. I also think DeAndre Hopkins gains a little bit from this as well. He may not get exactly the amount of uh, targets that maybe or receptions that perhaps you would think. But DeAndre Hopkins is not going to be now the focal point of what teams try and take away. There are going to be other avenues that teams are going to have to try and take into consideration when trying to stop the Arizona Cardinals and their offense. Hollywood Brown going over the top. It allows allows the Cardinals to not have to worry necessarily about DeAndre Hopkins being doubled because if you're going to double DeAndre Hopkins, that leaves Hollywood Brown one-on-one. And you put Hollywood Brown one-on-one in space with the speed that he has, forget it. It's it's, it's curtains for, for another team's defense. So... With with Hollywood in Arizona, I like the fit. I like him more non-PPR, but he's definitely appealing to to a lot of fantasy managers that love those home run sort of swings in the, in the middle to late middle of the draft before you start getting to the double-digit rounds. He could be a guy that's worth taking a stab on 
with significant upside and a great offense where he should be able to produce a ton. And for Kyler Murray, this is if you if you were really hoping that the Cardinals were going to do something to help out Kyler Murray, get him more weapons. Because I know we had talked about in the build-up to the draft and, and even in mock draft episodes that the Cardinals could be a real player for a receiver in, in this draft. Well, they were a player for a receiver, but it just so happened to be a receiver that was already on an NFL franchise, and they do so with Hollywood Brown. It really is a perfect fit for everybody involved with, from the Arizona Cardinals' perspective. And I really, really like this for, for Kyler Murray. I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see where his ADP settles at. We'll have more information on that on Monday. But for right now, the initial gut reaction is <clears throat> Kyler Murray already was being drafted considerably high. I think with this, he could definitely get a bit of a boost and maybe get himself closer to the QB4, who right now is Joe Burrow, um, which to me is absolutely ludicrous, but that's that's another story for, for another day. He could definitely be getting closer to that QB4 number and start challenging Burrow to be the QB4 in drafts behind still Justin Herbert as the QB3, Patrick Mahomes as the QB2, and Josh Allen as the QB1 going in drafts at this moment in time. And this is also very important for those that are drafting um, in rookie drafts over the course of the next week or two or three. Um, Jake and I will probably have a, a Dynasty segment, actually, on the Basement Talk podcast this week. So for all the Dynasty players out there that are listening uh, to this podcast, definitely go check out the Basement Talk podcast this week because we will have a full Dynasty segment on the Basement Talk podcast this week. So uh, definitely be on the lookout for uh, that. Make sure you subscribe and leave a five-star review. Greatly appreciated. Uh, AJ Brown to the... Oh, before we even get there, forgive me. We didn't talk about the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, he takes a little bit of a hit, sure. But he's still Lamar Jackson. You know what you're getting with Lamar. He's more of a runner than he is a passer. So I don't really know if his numbers are just going to be so incredibly impacted by this. But he takes a little bit of a hit, sure, just because of the the depth chart that exists right now in Baltimore. Hint, hint, before you even look, it's not good uh, at receiver. But Mark Andrews is still there, and Mark Andrews stands to gain from this. But is Mark Andrews good? It, it, does trading Hollywood Brown, is that enough to get Mark Andrews into the tight end one range of Travis Kelsey? He was for me before, but is it is is this enough to push him over Kelsey? The answer is no, it's not because Kelsey, for you know, if you remember ever recent history, Tyreek Hill is no longer in Kansas City, so Kelsey stands to get more uh, targets from the departure of Tyreek Hill, and Tyreek Hill was the focal point was a big focal point of that offense. Hollywood Brown for what it was worth, was not really a massive focal point for what Baltimore wanted to do. They are a run-first team. Lamar Jackson's getting all of his opportunities with his legs. They struggled in the running back department a year ago because they had lost their top two guys to injuries in J.K. Dobbins and then Gus Edwards, so they had to roll with Tyson Williams, then Latavius Murray, then Devonta Freeman, then you had Lamar Jackson, who went down towards the end of the year, then Tyler Huntley came in, Tyler Huntley was very impressive, but anybody who wants to suggest that Tyler Huntley might be better than Lamar Jackson, um, please go reevaluate your football, Stop, turn off this podcast, go reevaluate your football, thank you very much. So, Rashad Bateman, he needs to be discussed. I really think it's Rashad Bateman time in Baltimore. And when I say it's Rashad Bateman time, I don't want to come off as be, as saying, oh yeah, Rashad Bateman's going to be a top 24 receiver. He needs to be drafted in the 5th, 6th round everywhere. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is as of right now, and obviously things can change because we still have rounds 2 and 3 tonight, and rounds four and seven tomorrow, Baltimore can still go out and get a receiver. There are still a fairly good amount of receivers out there, namely George Pickens, Christian Watson, that are still available. 
Baltimore could still go out and get a receiver right now, but Rashad Bateman is the number one receiver in Baltimore. And if you're telling me that Rashad Bateman is going to go into the year as the number one receiver in Baltimore with the body and physical traits that Rashad Bateman possesses, yeah, I'm going to be all over that. And it really is going to depend on the price. Again, I haven't seen any ADP yet. This is still not even 12 hours old, really. So we still have a lot to process from the uh, fantasy side of things. We should have more of a sense as to what Rashad Bateman uh, is doing in ADP numbers by Monday or Tuesday. But all initial signs suggest that Rashad Bateman is going to be pushing top 30 wide receiver numbers in non-PPR. Half PPR, I think he might be a top 36 receiver. Full PPR, probably in the top 36 range, but I definitely like him in in, in non-PPR versus half and, and full. But again, same with Hollywood Brown, has the upside because he now is going to be the number one receiver in Baltimore pending they don't make any wide receiver additions. Hint, hint, they are going to. I can make that promise to you right now. Now we go to A.J. Brown in Philadelphia and subsequently signed a four-year, $100 million extension with $57 million guaranteed to go to Philadelphia, playing with his good friend Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. We'll line up next to Devonta Smith. I like the trade for Philadelphia. I like the trade for Philly. They had to go get a number one receiver. They've been in the market for a number one receiver all offseason long. And it just so happened that A.J. Brown was able to, you know, nudge, nudge the uh, folks in in Tennessee, John Robinson, the general manager uh, of the Titans, that, yeah, a long-term extension would not probably probably be plausible. And they had to get something for A.J. Brown. They did. And now A.J. Brown is a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. So let's start with the let's start with the Titans before we get to the Eagles. The Tennessee Titans, I've done some thinking about. I want no part uh, of, of the Titans. I know Derrick Henry is there. I understand that. But this just screams to me like a team that is just taking a massive step backwards. They're not they were the number one seed a year ago. And now we're talking about them clutching at straws to try and get into the playoffs. And their only means of getting into the playoffs might be by winning the absolutely pitiful AFC South. Like, why are we subtracting? And I and I understand that the AFC has gotten better. Maybe Tennessee feels that they can't compete in the AFC. Uh, I got it. I got it. But... You have to try and show that you're willing to compete. You're willing to go out and try and, and maintain that success. And if they think their window is closing, then their window is closing, and that, and that that's on them. But you have to at least try. And as far as I'm concerned, they didn't even try and do that. So that's a major question mark uh, to, to me. Uh, Robert Woods now stands to be the 1A to Traylon Burks, who the uh, Tennessee Titans... Uh, ended up taking with the 18th overall selection. I don't want any part in in the passing game. I don't want any part of Ryan Tannehill either. Um, if I had to take one, I would probably take Burks, just because I think the upside is greater with Burks than it is for Woods. But I don't really want any of them as things stand right now. Um, things could change. Uh, obviously, things could absolutely change, but I really don't want any part. It really is going to depend on the price for Burks and Woods, but I think I would rather have Burks in all formats over Robert Woods. Ryan Tannehill, I moved outside my top 20 uh, at quarterback. I don't want any part of that. No, thank you. He'll he'll be a, he'll be a popular streamer some weeks, I'm sure, when he goes up against the Jacksonvilles and the Houstons. He'll, he'll be a popular streamer that people will try and go and target. But in one quarterback leagues, 10-team leagues, he's not going to be viable, I don't think. 12 teams, 12 teams maybe, if you take two quarterbacks, he could probably be your second quarterback. But 
he's not he's not going to be a guy that I'm going to feel super confident in week in week out. So I would try and stay away from uh, from Ryan Tannehill and then the Derrick Henry debate. I hmm, it's a very tricky one because I've gone back and forth on this and. I really want to be aboard the Derrick Henry train. I want to be able to say, yeah, it's Derrick Henry. He's going to be fine. But what if the Titans team is not good? What if the Titans are not good and Derrick Henry is having to come out of games when they're down 10, 14 points? With no PPR upside as not a guy that's a pass catcher, that doesn't help him. Now, we I had mentioned this on the um, the show that will never be spoken of ever again last night with with Adam, and I'll, I definitely want to repeat it here. If Derrick Henry was a 25-30 catch running back that now with the departure of A.J. Brown could now push towards being a 35-40 catch running back, I would have no problem with it. I, I would be completely, completely fine with saying, you know what, I'm comfortable with Derrick Henry. He could assume more responsibility in the offensive game plan for the Titans, and I'm 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 fine with it. But Derrick Henry is he, he is not that guy. He only caught 18 balls in 2021. If we're going over the course of his entire career from 2016 onward, he's had 13, 11, 15, 18, 19 and 18 catches. He's never recorded more than 20 catches in a season. So if we all of a sudden think that Derrick Henry has become this this pass-catching extraordinaire, you're probably mistaken. Maybe does he get over the 20-catch hurdle this year? It's possible. Sure, it's possible with the amount of targets that are now uh, available for Tennessee. Sure, it's, it's all definitely within the range of outcomes. I'm not going to say it isn't, but you're going to need more than that, especially if Tennessee is not going to be as good as they are signaling, that they are looking to kind of tear it back a little bit. So I'm going to be interested to see where Derrick Henry falls, if he falls at all, but he could could be a pretty solid value for those that aren't necessarily afraid of what's going on in Tennessee at this moment in time. If people are just going to believe in the Derrick Henry talent, which I completely understand because Derrick Henry is a is a beast, then of course you're going to go and you're going to take Derrick Henry. And if you're able to get him from, say, he's, he's, a, he's a third player going off of boards right now. So if he moves from three to five or six, yeah. I think that's absolutely worth the gamble that you could that you could definitely take. I mean, I would rather have him over someone like Christian McCaffrey. I I don't think that's that's too uh, too crazy to say. And I understand that Christian McCaffrey is a PPR machine, but again, I mean, how many times would we just say Christian McCaffrey? He he's not been healthy now for the last two seasons. Derrick Henry had one freak injury. He had surgery, repaired that that issue, came back, looked good. And now stands to be full full bill of health, ready to go for week one in 2022. So if that is your cup of tea, and if Derrick Henry is your cup of tea, then it's perfect for you. And you're going to be very happy um, taking Derrick Henry if his price does start to slide. With the Eagles, Devonta Smith, he obviously takes a massive hit. Because now A.J. Brown's going to come in. And as a guy that's a $25 million receiver year in year out he's going to command a lot of targets in this offense and if you look at who else they have with Dallas Goddard now you have AJ Brown this hurts Devonta Smith in a in a really big way from a fantasy perspective I don't know where I'm going to move him but I could imagine that Devonta Smith falls out of my top 36 in all formats so uh, definitely something I'll update everybody on uh, next week when I do a deep dive on the ranks once the draft ends because I am not touching my ranks right now with all that can change in in, in really an instant. Um, Dallas Goddard takes a bit of a hit, takes a bit of a hit. I probably now will have Dalton Schultz ranked higher than Dallas Goddard. It'll be very interesting to see whether or not 
I have TJ Hawkinson or Dallas Goddard higher because now they have very sort of the, the same kind of problem where Goddard now is going to have Jamison Williams in this offense to go along with DeAndre Swift, who is a catch passing, a patch catch, a pass catching machine. Thanks, Ed. Good job with words. And Amon Ross St. Brown as well. So there's a lot of mouths to feed in Detroit. There's a lot of mouths to feed in Philadelphia as well. So Hawkinson and Goddard may have the same kind of problem, but I think Goddard is more is definitely more locked loaded for targets more than Hawkinson is. So I think I'll put Goddard over Hawkinson, but I will definitely have Dalton Schultz over both uh, come the end of draft weekend. For A.J. Brown, I'm going to say this is a bit of a hit for him because I just don't trust Jalen Hurts as a passer. I trust him with his legs. I trust the, the ability that he has as an athlete. But as a pure passer, I don't trust that he can do it consistently. I do like that he is friends with A.J. Brown. They've worked out in the offseason. They have that connection. I, I, I got it. I'm, I'm very thrilled for, for that. But is that really going to be worth it in round two, where A.J. Brown was currently going? I don't think so. And I think with this trade, too, which I'll have to uh, quickly pull up my, uh, my ranks. And I wasn't you know, considering going into the ranks today, but, but here we are. So if I pull up my PPR ranks and I go to receivers, you know, I'll, I'll go to half PPR. Why not? So if we go to the half PPR ranks and we just do a deep dive here, right, we have, and this is in no particular order because obviously this is all subject to change, but we have Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Stefan Diggs, Justin Jefferson, and Cooper Cup as my top five receivers, and then A.J. Brown as my wide receiver six. I genuinely think now that we have a massive tear break from Stefan Diggs or those top five guys, whichever, however order you want to rank them, to now A.J. Brown, Debo, Tyreek Hill, C.D. Lamb, and the rest of the wide receivers. I think there is a massive, massive tier drop-off in the, from those top five to the rest now that A.J. Brown is in Philadelphia. And I'm going to move A.J. Brown down. He'll still be a top 10 receiver for me. I'm not going to say that he's going to completely fall off or anything like that. But he just won't be a locked and loaded round two pick like he was before. And that is going to be a very interesting debate that I think fantasy managers are going to have to have when evaluating A.J. Brown and evaluating this offense. Can you go ahead and take a chance on A.J. Brown in this offense with Jalen Hurts, who is inconsistent at best as a passer in round two of fantasy drafts? And the answer probably is for me, I can't do it. And I was interested in A.J. Brown. And I am mad that Philadelphia went and got him for more reasons than one, of course. And for Jalen Hurts, it's a bump up. It has to be because, yeah, we could say that Jalen Hurts is a, is a terrible passer. We could say he's inconsistent. This, 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 that, that, that. But he's gotten more weapons. This is the year he's got to show it. With the option that they have in the running game. With Miles Sanders, who we hope is coming back, who knows? Kenny Gainwell. Um, now you look at the guys they have in the passing game with Dallas Goddard, Devonta Smith, AJ Brown. This is a talented offense, and they have a lot of really good skill players now in Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts has got to take advantage of that as a passer. We know he can do it with his legs, but he has to be able to do it now with his arm. Otherwise, Philadelphia is going to take full advantage. And they're going to go get somebody that can utilize the talents of all those skilled players that they have next year in the 2023 draft, which, by the way, projects to be a much better quarterback draft. And we'll get to why the hell only one quarterback was taken in the first round. I have some information for you on that in just a little bit. So let's get into uh, the breakdown of the first round. And... I definitely wanted to go and look at some of the picks that maybe drew the most the most shock, drew the most questions, and there's no better place to start than at number one with the 
Jacksonville Jaguars taking Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. And what the hell are Jacksonville Jaguars are doing? Well, Trent Baalke has made a living off of going for high upside, uber athletic, skillful, physical players. That's Trayvon Walker. He has the upside. There's no denying that. 6'5", 272, ran a 4'5", at the Combine. Athletic freak. This is a guy that tests well. And for anybody who are, who you know side with the, with the gym rats, this is your guy that you absolutely love. But the advanced metrics on him were not very kind to him. Also looking at Jacksonville and how you're going to assess how this pick is, is who they passed on. And for me, I had Ike Aquanu as the number one pick for Jacksonville. I thought for sure they should have gone offensive line, whether it was Ike Aquanu or Evan Neal. The number one goal in the offseason has been, always was, and should be still to protect Trevor Lawrence and put him in a position for success. That was supposed to be the plan. And even though they decided to retain Cam Robinson on a three-year, $54 million extension, Cam Robinson is just okay. He's nothing special. You can make a case that he is not worth three years, $54 million. That's my own personal take on it. Um, But you can see that Trayvon Walker has a path to being one of the top defensive players in the National Football League, but he hasn't shown it. They're drafting him off of potential. They're drafting him for what he could be versus what the Detroit Lions did at number two with Aiden Hutchinson, who is, you know what you're getting out of Aiden Hutchinson. You're getting a guy that year one should be coming into the National Football League and should be eight and a half, nine sacks. Just for starters. You're hoping for something like that. Then you're hoping for growth year to year from a guy like Walker. Because guess what? If Trayvon Walker doesn't pan out, it's a decision that gets every last person in Jacksonville fired. Not to mention if there is an injury to Trevor Lawrence that comes at the expense of a terrible offensive line or an offensive line mistake the questions are just going to pour in even more on what the hell was the thinking behind taking Trayvon Walker who the Jaguars were very convinced on there was no debate from what I was told while we all were debating whether it was a smokescreen for Hutchinson a smokescreen for the offensive linemen there was no debate in Jacksonville that Walker was going to be the guy. And I hope I hope it works out for for Jacksonville. Because if it doesn't, you're going to have a lot of heads rolling. And I think the first one is going to be Trent Baalke, who will lose his job uh, fairly quickly because he didn't want to protect his quarterback. But he did sign Brandon Scherf to a massive, uh, massive deal this offseason. So maybe that's his way of saying, well, we got him one offensive lineman. The Jets. Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson. My oh my, do the Jets do really well. They did. They did really, really, really well. Sauce Gardner, I said it on my mock draft. I will say it now. Stefan Diggs, Tyreek Hill, Insert receiver from New England here. Devontae Parker. Whatever. He's not Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs. Okay. But put him here for this exercise. You need a corner that can guard those guys, right? You need a shutdown corner to be opposite, to be the guy that's going to protect the side of the field and match up against Stephon Diggs, match up against Tyreek Hill. Matchup against Devontae Parker. That's what Sauce Gardner is. The guy did not allow a touchdown 
in his collegiate career. Did not allow a single touchdown in his collegiate career. Now, if he doesn't allow a single touchdown while in coverage of the National Football League, this guy's going to be the easiest shoe in Hall of Famer of all time. He's going to allow touchdowns in coverage. He's going to make mistakes. He's a rookie. He's going to make a ton, he's going to make a ton of mistakes. But this is a Jets team where there is growth. There are signs of progress. And with this draft that Joe Douglas had, which, I mean, I listen, I am not a Garrett Wilson guy. I am much more of a Jamison Williams, Drake London guy, and I'll have more on uh, those receivers in just a minute. But the Jets did really, really well. They addressed all of their needs in round one. Maybe they can go and get an offensive lineman, maybe a swing tackle of sorts in the middle of the draft. But outside of that, the pressing needs the Jets needed to have, they got them all in round one. Corner, check. Receiver, check. Edge rusher, check. All in round one. And how Jermaine Johnson fell to 26 is a flat-out mystery to me. And the Jets made the move to trade back in, go get him, who they were considering at 10. They were considering Jermaine Johnson at 10 and traded back into the first round to get Jermaine Johnson. And they did really, really well. And if you're looking at the winners from night one, you have to put the Jets in, in the conversation. Before we get to the other New York team, and God, I'm going to eat some crow for that one. But yeah, the Giants did really well um, with with the Jets and with, with Garrett Wilson. His yards after the catch are ridiculous. His straight line speed is really good. He can create separation. He can run. Those are going to help him succeed at the next level. For me, where I kind of sour on him is I don't know if he necessarily projects as a go-to dominant number one receiver like Jamison Williams and Drake London do. But the Jets saw Garrett Wilson as a better option at receiver than they saw Jamison Williams. Garrett Wilson, Garrett Wilson, they had as a top 10 prospect in this draft. They also had Drake London as a top 10 prospect in this draft ahead of Garrett Wilson. Drake London was who their pick was going to be if all three of them were on the board at number 10. But when Drake London went 8 to Atlanta, who, by the way, from a fantasy perspective, I want no part of Drake London in Atlanta. So just put that one in your notepads for all the fantasy managers listening. Uh, yeah, no, you, 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 you do not want to invest in Atlanta. No, thank you. Um, but when Drake London went off the board, Garrett Wilson became the pick for the New York Jets, and, and, and they made it. Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, Sauce Gardner were all top 10 players on the Jets board. And they got them all at 4, at 10, and then at 26. Heck of a job by Joe Douglas and company to get all the needs done in one swoop in the first round. And there are still six rounds of this draft to go. Really, really good by Joe Douglas and company. <clears throat> the New York Football Giants. Again, they had needs. They addressed them. They needed an edge rusher to pair with Aziz Ojolari. They got it with Kayvon Thibodeau. They needed an offensive tackle to pair with Andrew Thomas. They got that with Evan Neal. Thibodeau, I'm not a big Thibodeau guy. I've said that time and time again, and maybe you've heard that in the past. But he is a special, special talent if all goes right. And he's in a great position, I think, with a great defensive coach in Wink Martindale, a great coach period in Brian Dable that will motivate him and get the best out of Kayvon Thibodeau. That's what he needs. He needs someone that's going to light a fire under his ass and just say, hey, let's go. We have to, you know, I need the best out of you right now. I need the best out of you for 60 minutes. Can you give that to me? And that's what I think this Giants coaching staff is going to be able to bring and do for a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau. I love the fit with with the Giants. I also love the fit with the Jets. Uh, but, but I think either one would have been a great spot for, uh, for Thibodeau. He ends up going to the blue side uh, of MetLife Stadium 
with the with the Giants. And then Evan Neal. He weighs at 340 pounds, comes in at six foot eight. He plays like he's 6'2", 250. He is so quick for a guy that is 340. It, it, it is silly. And he could play at left tackle. He can play at right tackle. Same with Andrew Thomas. They can experiment. They can move these guys around and, dep- and figure out where or where they're going to play. And the way you build a football team, folks, is you build from the inside out. And that is what the Giants are doing here. They're going to undergo a full-scale retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. And they're doing it by starting in the trenches on both sides of the ball, at offensive line, at defensive line, and they are going to work their way out. There is a plan in place. I like it for the New York Giants. A great, great, great draft. Dave Gettleman, I miss you endlessly. The first big trade of the night, the New Orleans Saints, they gave up a third-round pick and a fourth-round pick to swap first-round spots with the Washington Commanders, and they trade up for a wide receiver in Chris Olave out of Ohio State. A peculiar one, because they gave up a lot. To trade up, not as much as the as the Lions gave up for Jameson Williams, which, yeah, that's a really another interesting one. How they tra- trade up twenty spots to get Jameson Williams when I really thought it could have been a quarterback at that point. They didn't do it, um, but great fit. For, I think a great fit for Jameson Williams, and he'll be able to uh, really make some really explosive plays right off the jump in in Detroit, and might be even a good um, addition for fantasy, depending on what his price is going to be, but. With Olave, the Saints are operating very, very much in win-now mode when really they shouldn't be. They should not be in win-now mode because they're not in win-now mode. But if the plan is to come in and give Michael Thomas somebody else next to him that can help shoulder the responsibility in this offense and make him feel that he's not alone as the only option in the passing game downfield for the Saints, that the Saints have succeeded on that front with bringing in Chris Olave. And for what it's worth, I think Chris Olave could be a great, great target for fantasy managers just because of who his quarterback is in James Winston, who's going to absolutely throw, throw, throw. He's got the production whilst at Ohio State. He can run. He can separate. He is one of the best, if not the best overall route runner in the entire class. It's just after the catch is where he really struggles. But the buildup towards making the catch and completing the catch, there are no problems there. He's going to be able to contribute right off the jump. But it is just a matter of was this the move that really the Saints needed to do, especially after all the maneuvering, all the tinkering that they did before round one with going to to make the trade with Philadelphia and everyone's saying, oh, this could be for, for a quarterback and they trade up again and we're saying, up oh, here's your quarterback and it's a receiver. I don't love the process for New Orleans and again, They're operating very much like they're in win-now mode, and they're not in win-now mode. But for fantasy, this is a great opportunity to try and exploit with Chris Olave in New Orleans. And for what it's worth also, if I do say so myself, there are no promises that Michael Thomas is going to consistently play. So if Michael Thomas does not play at all, or gets hurt rather quickly like he has done before, Chris Olave is going to be in a great position to get a ton of targets, to get a ton of reps, and grow very quickly with Jamison, with Jameis Winston. Jesus, I almost said Jamison Winston. I hope it's not the first time I said that. Uh, Jameis Winston at quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. So I think this is a great, great landing spot uh, for Chris Olave. It's just not the pick that I would have done if I was the Saints. But for fantasy, this is a great spot 
for uh, for for Chris Olave. We mentioned Jameson Williams going to going to Detroit. His ceiling is the best pass catcher in this entire draft. He was my number one receiver. I am a Jameson Williams guy more than I am a Garrett Wilson, uh, Chris Olave, Drake London fan. The Lions just couldn't resist Jameson Williams at number 12. I don't blame them. The Eagles were going to make him a Philadelphia Eagle, and I thank the Detroit Lions for making sure that, that did not happen. Um, yeah, so thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Detroit. Um, Jahan Dotson to the Commanders at 16. I did not love this one. I'm not a Jahan Dotson sort of guy, but he definitely fits the profile that I think Washington was looking for out of a second receiver. Terry McLaurin was calling for another uh, receiver there, and they get it for him at, at 16. Would I have gone for maybe Traylon Burks, or would I have kept the 11th overall pick and taken a Jameson Williams or a Chris Olave? Yeah, I, I, I would have. I wouldn't have traded back, but they get to pick up a third and a fourth round pick out of it, get some more value later in the middle in the middle of the draft, and they get Carson Wentz, another receiver. So all in all, not bad. I'm just not a fan of, of Dotson, but the process isn't bad, but would I have probably stayed and taken one of the better receivers that I had ranked much higher on my board? Yes, I would have. I had a second round grade on Dotson, but then again, I also had 17 first round grades uh, in this entire draft, so not really saying much with the state of of this class. We mentioned we mentioned Traylon Burks uh, at the, the top of the show. It's time to talk about Kenny Pickett. Going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I will tell you this right now. If Kenny Pickett is going to be the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers in week one, you could tell me that right now. I will want every ounce of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I will want every bit of Deontay Johnson. I will want every bit of Chase Claypool to a point. I would want every bit of Pat Fryermuth, and I would want every bit of Najee Harris. I think that Kenny Pickett is going to be a guy that could potentially come in and win this job right off the bat and get Pittsburgh back to being competitive in what's going to be a very competitive AFC North with the defending AFC champions, with the Cleveland Browns who have strengthened tenfold this offseason, and with the Baltimore Ravens who have who hit a home run in this draft with Kyle Hamilton, top five player for me, and Tyler Linderbaum, a top 10 player for me in this draft. But with Pickett, he's going to come in right away. He's going to be able to compete right away with Mitch Trubisky. I expect this to be a very open quarterback competition going on in the summer. I think this is a perfect swing by Pittsburgh. They did not have to trade up to get their choice of any of the quarterbacks. The one and only quarterback that was taken in round one, and I had asked why there was only one quarterback taken, and a source explained it to me, and it makes perfect sense. With the 2020 CBA that was signed, before the C- before the new CBA, teams could exercise a fifth-year option on a player, and if the player stunk in year four and they wanted to get out of the fifth-year option they could get out of it and take a minimal cap hit, and that's it. Now, post-2020 CBA, that fifth-year option for rookies is now fully guaranteed. So teams, especially at the quarterback position, don't want to fully commit themselves to a not-proven entity at the quarterback position. So when looking at Malik Willis, when looking at Matt Corral, when looking at Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, there were question marks with all of those quarterbacks. And teams were saying, well, we could either take them in the first round, get that fifth-year option, but it's a fully guaranteed fifth-year option that we can't get out of, or don't take them in the first round, don't get the fifth-year option, but get them cheaper on a four-year rookie contract, rookie scaled, and 
done. And that's exactly what teams decided to do. But with Kenny Pickett and the Pittsburgh Steelers, the need was very clear. They needed to get a quarterback. They needed to get a guy to come in and compete with Mitch Trubisky right away, get their plan for the future, and that is what Kenny Pickett is. And he can start right away. Most importantly, this will be an open competition for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I am a big, big, big fan of the Steelers going out and getting Kenny Pickett. From a fantasy perspective, like I said, if they, if you could tell me that he is going to be the starter, yes, please, and thank you. Perhaps the biggest stretch, reach, whatever you want to call it, of the night had to have been Cole Strange from Chattanooga going to the New England Patriots. I like Cole Strange. I had a higher grade on Strange than most did. I had him as a high second round pick so I had him pretty much in the 60 range um, for New England a lot of people had him more as a mid third high third round uh, round selection but again this is what Bill Belichick does folks he plays chess while we're all playing checkers he sees a guy in Cole Strange that he really likes who is a mean, mean SOB. The kid could play football and he does it really well. And Chattanooga had a really good offensive line a year ago and Strange was a big part of that. And it it fits a need as well. The, the Patriots needed to address the guard position. They lost both of their guards in the offseason. Ted Karras is gone. Shaq Mason is gone. They needed to get a guard here and Cole Strange is that. Now, would he have been there in the second round for the New England Patriots? Probably. Probably would have. But they felt the need to go and get him right now. They did it. And I have no problem with it. I have no problem with a team going off board if it fits a need and it's a guy that they like. Because Dallas, they are kings at this. And they did it as well with Tyler Smith, who I like. Just has a lot of penalty issues and is very, very raw. But we saw them do it with Travis Frederick. How did that pan out? panned out pretty well so Cole Strange could be a Hall of Fame Hall of Fame player and no one's gonna laugh at this pick but everybody's laughing at it right now because some people do not view him as highly as others and that's completely fine to each their own that is what I always like to say with uh with these draft picks everyone's gonna have their crush on somebody and that's it and finally the last thing that I wanted to get to uh, before we before we sign off here, and of course we'll be back uh, tomorrow with a uh, full draft review. It'll be Jake and I. The Green Bay Packers. <clears throat> what are they doing? What What are they doing not getting Aaron Rodgers a first-round receiver again? I feel like I feel like we just hammer and hammer and hammer this over and over and over again in our minds, in, in our brains, in our in, in just the way we talk about the draft. Every year, we just have this back and forth with ourselves, with our friends, our whomever, whomever we watch football with. We have this back and forth every single year. Will this be the year that Green Bay Packers decide to get Aaron Rodgers a first-round receiver and the Packers actually take one? And we're convinced every year that, yeah, this is the year. They're going to bring somebody in to pair with Devontae Adams. And now that Devontae Adams is gone, oh, Devontae Adams is no longer there. They have to go and get Aaron Rodgers, the first-round receiver now. And they don't. And they don't. We're stuck here again. We are stuck here again wondering, wanting to know what are the Packers trying to do. And I'm not going to go ahead and say that the Packers taking Devontae Wyatt and Quay Walker to Georgia Bulldogs is bad. It's not. I like Quay Walker more than most, and I like Devontae Wyatt more than most. Devontae Wyatt, for me, was more complete on film, more of a complete defensive tackle than Jordan Davis, where Jordan Davis is more of a one-trick pony, but his one-trick pony is elite. That one trick that he's got is, is, is deadly, and if he can develop that pass-rushing side, Jordan Davis is going to be an absolute beast in the National Football League. But they don't get a receiver for Aaron Rodgers and the board didn't shape up for the receivers in the 20s where Green Bay could have been interested in a receiver um, Arizona could have been interested in a receiver if they didn't make the trade for Hollywood Brown which is why I think they made the trade 
for Hollywood when they realized that the receivers were just going to fly off the board. Uh, Dallas wasn't in the, uh, the mix for a receiver anymore. They were they were interested in Chris Olave. Um, I was told Dallas and Jordan Davis, but at the end of the day, they were just too high uh, for for Dallas, and they were not offering competitive enough package to move up for either of those guys. Um, but Green Bay doesn't draft the first round receiver again, and now we're just saying to ourselves, "Well, what's the plan? What's the plan here? Alan Lazard's going to be the first the 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 guy. Sammy Watkins is your first round receiver that Aaron Rodgers is finally going to throw it to." So are we really going to trust Sammy Watkins to be consistently healthy? No, we've tried that before. Let's not do it again, please. Do not do not be tempted to say Sammy Watkins is going to be the guy in Green Bay. He's not going to be. Right now, it's Alan Lazard as the number one receiver for Aaron Rodgers. He's going to have appeal, but I'm going to be very interested to see what they do in round two because they have to draft a receiver at some point. And if they don't... I thought for sure they were going to try and go for George Pickens or Christian Watson at the back end of, of round one. Even if it was maybe a reach for them, and I don't know what their board looks like, obviously. But I, I just thought the need was there. And they go and invest in two picks in their front seven on defense. Uh, I don't know how it makes much sense. I, I really, really don't. And they have to improve a receiver for Aaron Rodgers. It's... Aaron Jones might be the wide receiver one at this point for, for the Green Bay Packers. I mean, we just have to call it for what it is at this point because I don't know what the Packers are doing. But, yeah, that's uh, that's the story with uh, with the first round of the NFL draft. Jake and I will be back with you on Saturday for a full NFL draft recap. We'll be going through uh, the picks and talking about them from a legitimate NFL point of view. And then on Monday, we will be doing your fantasy uh, fantasy watch. I tried to give you all the best fantasy stuff that I can right now, but I will have to spend most of the day on Sunday going through my ranks and making all the necessary adjustments, doing, production, doing projections where I can, and having to have some sort of clarity for you on Monday's program. So until then, uh, leave a five-star review, subscribe, tell me how much you love the program, and I'm sorry there, there, no, there was no Adam or Jake. It was just me, unfortunately. But hopefully you all love me like I love all of you beautiful people. So I have been Bird. Thank you so much for listening to the Basin Talk Podcast Fantasy Show. And we'll catch you on the next one. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.